forward to that. Church, I pray that you got your Bible with you this morning. I want you to turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Hopefully you got your sermon outline with you. Thank Canva for this. Amen. I'm learning each and every Sunday how to make these real pretty pictures. And I always check with Austin. I'm like, Austin, tell me the truth. Is it corny? And so hopefully it's not too corny. But you can see the title of the sermon this morning, Christ is my what? Christ is my treasure. And so I pray that you got your Bible and your sermon outline because you know me. I like to ask questions. Amen. And so we're going to lead this off this morning with a personal question. And Austin alluded to this to the children that were just sitting up here. And I'm going to give you a second, but I want to ask you a question. This is in your outline. Hopefully you got a pencil or a pen or something there in front of you to write this stuff down. But I want to know what are the top five things in your life? That you, not your spouse, not your children, but you, what are the top five things in your life that you treasure the most? And I'm going to give you a, a few seconds. Do, 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 do. Somebody hit the Jeopardy for me. Do, 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 do. I'm going to give you a few seconds to write these down. All right. Now, while you're writing it down, I'm, I'll, I'll speak a little bit. I can't read your minds this morning, so I have no idea what you're going to put, your, your, your answers. This is just between, you know, you and the Lord. But many people will probably say their health, their wealth, their family, their education, or maybe even their careers. But whatever it is that you put down, these items reveal truly what you and I value in this life. There are things that you hold dear, the things that you consider essential to your happiness, to your survival, to your security. They are your treasures, and your treasures determine your priorities. They reveal your true ambitions. They reveal your attractions and your affections. And don't forget, the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be as well. So the decisive question for us this morning really is this. Are the things that you presently treasure what they ought to be? Are they what they ought to be? Do, you tre do your treasures, do they have a lasting value? Do they add value and a meaning to your life? Do you see yourself ever giving them up or exchanging them for maybe something that's more valuable? And here's something to think about as well. Did our treasures change once Jesus Christ became our Savior? Did your treasures change once Jesus Christ became your personal Lord? Now, the Apostle Paul answered this question for the Christians at Philippi, and hopefully he's going to help us answer this as well today. So look at your scripture, Philippians 3. We're going to look at verses 7 through, the, through 11. Listen to the word of God. Here's what it says. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, Paul says, I count all things to be in loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that we can come in this morning and, and have time in our small groups to study your word, Father, and, and have intimate fellowship with one another. Father, we thank you today that we could come and we could sing of your praises, Father God. Lord, we, we thank you. We love you, Lord. Father, thank you for Billy and the choir and all of these, Lord, that are doing music, Lord, who, all, all, everyone that's involved. Father, we thank you for their hearts and their willingness to lead us in music. And, Father, as we come now to the listening of your word, Father God, Lord, I pray that you challenge us in a great way today, Lord. Open our hearts and open our ears, Father, that, Lord, I pray that our treasures, our priorities are in the right place where they need to be because, Lord, I know how this life can push and pull. And, Lord, I know oftentimes our treasures sometimes get out of whack. And so, God, I pray this morning, Lord, that we leave here today, that we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus, he is our number one treasure. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Now, if you grew up in the 80s, which I grew up in the 80s, then you probably watched a sitcom by the name of Growing pains. Some of y'all are laughing. There was a teenage boy in that show, and he went by the name of Mike Seaver, also known, real name of Kirk Cameron. And so Kirk, at the age of 14, this young man, he became a Hollywood star. He had the money, he had the fame, and even the Hollywood awards in the middle of his teenage years. But Kirk was also an atheist. He didn't believe in God, couldn't see God, and he says he didn't need an emotional crutch to get him through life because he was already living life, and he was living it big. So God didn't exist. Religion was for the weak. He had everything that he needed. He had everything that he wanted in life, but at the age of 17, something changed. At the age of 17, his story he said he went to church, he began to think more about his life, and he says the more that he went, the more that he wanted to have a relationship with Jesus. So he realized he was lost. He realized it, that he needed to be saved, and Jesus became much more than a made-up fairy tale or a crutch, but Jesus became his Lord and his Savior. Well, you know what? The Apostle Paul had a little bit of a similar testimony, if you think about it. There was a time in the life of Paul that Jesus was nothing more than a supposed deceased leader of a heretical movement opposing the true God of Israel. To Paul, Jesus was the one that was leading the Jewish people astray. Jesus was the liar who had been misleading people into thinking that he was the Son of God. Jesus was the dead carpenter from Nazareth, and he had created so much hate in the heart of Paul that Paul basically became a terrorist to Christianity. But on the road, on that Damascus road in Acts chapter 9, Jesus suddenly became much more than a leader of a false religious movement and a heavenly flash. Paul fell to his, he fell to his knees. 
Jesus spoke, Paul listened. For three days the Bible says he was blind, he did not eat, he did not drink. But on the third day, the Word of God says he received the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he was baptized. He then regained his strength. And then guess what he did after that? He went out and he preached. He went out and he preached. See, when Jesus became Paul's Savior, Paul realized that Jesus did not just save his soul, but something inside, something inside of Paul changed as well, and he examined his life. And so Paul explains to the Christians at Philippi, and this is where your sermon outline begins this morning, and this is very simplistic. Number one, in Christ, our past life before Jesus doesn't add up to our present life with Christ. Doesn't add up. Paul uses some accounting terms to describe the, to the Christians at Philippi basically his former life without Jesus to his current life with Jesus. And so the word gain, it's an accounting term that means profit. And the word loss is an accounting term used basically to describe a business loss. So Paul's basically using some type of business language to describe this spiritual transaction that occurred when Jesus Christ redeemed him as he considered his gains, and as he considered his losses. Now, if you're having a business conversation with someone, and you tell them, hey, my gains have been losses, and my losses have become gains, many people are going to think you're what? They're going to think you are either a terrible business owner, or they're going to think you're crazy. But let's stop and think about what Paul is saying. What did Paul consider gain and profit in his former life? Well, it seems to me that Paul was talking about his past life as being a Jewish Pharisee. In his former life, he had a zeal to follow the law. He had a zeal against Jesus as the Son of God. He had a zeal to squash out Christianity. And Paul had a zeal to arrest anyone, whether if it was a man or a woman, that followed Jesus Christ. So at one point in Paul's former life, he considered it a gain or profit when men and women were in prison. Persecution rang through the streets against Christianity. And even when people were put to death because of their belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Can you imagine feeling that way? That that was a gain or that was a profit because of the persecution that was happening against the Son of God. But something happened didn't it? Something happened. So I want to ask you a question this morning. What did you consider gain before Jesus Christ entered your life? What did you consider gain or profit before Jesus Christ entered your life? In the eyes of the world, to gain usually means wealth. It usually means popularity, materialism, esteem, social status, one's career, and what we like to consider getting ahead in life and our own personal achievements like Austin likes to hang on his wall. Amen? I love Austin. i got to get at him. For Paul, Christ was his number one treasure. But it wasn't always that way, was it? It wasn't always that way. Let me ask you this. Where does Jesus rank right now in your life? 
Where does he rank? Is he your number one treasure? Is Jesus just a convenience that you, that you call out to when you're sick or life is not going right or there, there's some type of persecution that, that's going on in your life? You know, a lot of times I tell people, sometimes we ought to change the name of the churches to the, the, the Cecilia Convenience Baptist Church. Amen? But I'm being serious and I'm being sincere this morning. You know, where does Jesus at this very point in your life, where does he rank? Because if we are being honest and we are being transparent with one another this morning, there are times in our life where Jesus is not one, he's not two, he's not even three. And then we ask ourselves and we wonder, Father, what is going on? I don't feel your presence. I'm not feeling blessings. I'm not feeling uh, this connection with you. And and the truth of the matter is, Jesus never left you. Amen? Because the Bible says in the book of James, you draw near to God and God's going to draw near to you. Oftentimes life happens and we believe for some odd reason, well, God, if I can just disconnect, I can figure all this stuff out myself and I don't need you. But when I finally get to that point and I realize I can't do it by my what? By myself, we come crawling back and God knew it. Amen. Because the Holy Spirit was in you the whole time saying, call upon the Lord. Draw near to the Lord, and the Lord will draw near to He'll draw near to you. And Paul wasn't finished comparing his former life to his present life, which leads to number two in your outline. In Christ, our personal relationship with him and his influence is invaluable. It's invaluable. Throughout Paul's life, he'd been educated, taught the law, thought he knew God on a level of understanding, really, that surpassed the mere Jew. But after Christ became his Savior, something in Paul changed. He said, these are crazy words, right? I mean, think about what he's writing. He's everything in his life. He says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. Everything in Paul's life that he had held dear, his education, his social status, even his reputation had all been lost, he says, for knowing who? For knowing Jesus. Can we say that, church? When Christ came into our lives, did he become number one? And did Christ not only change our hearts and our eternity, but did did Jesus change the way that what we hold dearest in this life, did they change as well? See, Paul understood Jesus loved him. Paul understood that that Jesus rose from the dead, that he saved him, that he forgave him, he recreated him, he sent him on a new road. Paul was thankful, he was rejoiceful, he was happy, and Paul, because of Jesus, he had a newfound love for people. The education, the pride, the social status, the recognition, Paul counted it all as loss for knowing Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And Paul also says this, he says that I may gain Christ. You can almost hear the idea of exchange within these two verses from the lips of the Apostle Paul. He exchanged what he had held dear in the past to what he now holds dear in Christ Jesus. And Paul knew 
And this is what we have a difficulty understanding today in Christianity, that to gain Christ, to be found in Jesus, means putting Jesus as what we hold dear. See, I, I believe that this word gain that Paul is speaking of, it means that Christ becomes the dominating influence in our life. Because if Paul grew spiritually, then others around him would grow spiritually as well. Did you know that? And I still think that applies to us today, amen? I think it applies to us right now at this very minute. That the more that we know, the more that we gain the ability that we have to share with other people. I had a conversation the other day. I, I, I get back and there's, this, there's a young man right in here waiting for me on the pew. David knows all about this. I have no idea who he is. I come in, David said, hey, here's the pastor. You all want to talk? I'm like, hey, who? I don't, I'm not sure who the young man is. Young man comes in. And we start having a conversation about his life, about his salvation, about where, he, where, where he's at. And, and all these things that we started, we, we talked for 30, 45 minutes. I can't even remember. But I told him, I said, embrace and enjoy your salvation and your walk with Jesus Christ. And we talked about scripture. We talked about God. We talked about what Jesus was doing. But if I didn't know some of that scripture, and if God had not impressed that upon my heart, I would have never been able to share with that young man. But you know what's funny? God always seems to give us the right words. Holy Spirit always seems to be able to impress upon us the right words. When Christ becomes our Savior, the things in our lives, what we held dearly, surely they change. If it was money... Surely that changed. If it was popularity, surely it changed. If it was social status, surely that changed. If it was hobbies, surely that changed. And I'm not saying that we're going to devalue everything in life. But what I am saying is this. What Paul is saying is that everything else compared to Jesus, everything else compared to our relationship with Christ, that everything else in our gaining of Christ, Paul said, was rubbish. Rubbish. The Apostle John once said these words. He said, he must increase and I must what? And I must decrease. Now, people may be thinking, Pastor, are you telling me not to value my career? Nope, that's not what I'm saying. Pastor, are you telling me not to value my paycheck? Nope, that's not what I'm saying. Don't, don't, don't make my wife upset, amen? Pastor, are you telling me not to value my home? No, that's not what I'm saying. Are you telling me not to value my education, a hobby, a boat, a camper, my truck, sports, a vacation? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Our earthly treasures will rust and they will be destroyed. But when we store up heavenly treasures, that's where true blessings lie. That's where they lie. You know, when I officiated Jim Reeser's Celebration of Life, this past Tuesday, church, I'm, I'm just, Norita's sitting right back there. It wasn't the earthly treasures that people talked about. It was the heavenly treasures. It was the spiritual growth that the family and friends had seen in the last 20-some years of his life. And it was the Christian influence that impacted 
those friends and this family. That's what people want to see. That's what people want to know. That's what people want to experience. You can almost hear Paul saying, man, I thought my life before Jesus was so profitable and I had it all figured out. I was a Pharisee. I was educated, respected. I was revered. But when Christ saved my soul on the road to Damascus, it all changed for me. And from that day forward, no matter what I did, no matter where I went, no matter the environment I was in, Jesus was my number one. That's who he is. How valuable is your relationship with Christ and his influence, his influence in your life? Paul also explained number three, in Christ, my salvation isn't based off my righteousness. It's not based off my righteousness. As a Pharisee, Paul knew exactly what this big word of righteousness meant. In Scripture, righteousness is often a, a, a legal term that means a judge would pronounce someone righteous. In the Old Testament, for one to be found righteous, there was a strict obedience to the law and obedience to the Lord. There was a great faith in God, and it was considered someone who walked with God. But the problem with the law was this. Although it pointed out people's sinfulness, the law did not save. It did not save anyone. And think about this. Clearly, no one has the kind of righteousness that will secure a verdict of innocent when God examines one's life. So what did God do to save us from our own unrighteousness? Well, Paul explained that it was a righteousness from God. Well, Brother Donnie, what does that mean? It means that you and I can never be good enough on our own to be considered righteous in the eyes of God. Good works, being a good person, being a good neighbor, having good morals and values. Hey, listen, those are all wonderful things to have, but they are not great enough when it comes to righteousness because no matter how hard we try, we're still tainted with sinfulness. So if we can never be good enough, how can we be righteous? The Bible says in Romans 3, But now apart from the law of righteousness of God has been made known, which to the law and the prophets testify, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So being righteous in the eyes of the world, hey, it's not going to get you into heaven. Having righteousness based on religion is not going to get you into heaven. But having a righteousness that is based upon a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, the Bible says, will make you righteous. Which basically means this. One day when you and I stand before God, He's not going to see our sin, but He's going to see the righteousness because of what Jesus has done for you. That's what He's going to see. Have you chosen faith in Christ? Do you understand that there's no way to righteousness without Jesus? And then lastly, number four, Paul explained, in Christ I want my life to mirror his. I want my life to mirror his. How many of us can say that this morning? How many of us can say those words with our lips? I want my life 
to mirror his. Paul didn't just settle on having a faith. Paul wanted to experience Jesus and to know him in a life-shaping way. Paul wanted to experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus, and he wasn't talking about a one-time experience per se, but it was a lifelong and eternal experience. And think about this. Because Christ rose from the grave, because he was resurrected, the power of the resurrection, I believe, has three phases for the believer. And this is in your outline this morning at the very end. Number one is this. At conversion, believers experience a spirit spiritual resurrection you're going to experience a spiritual resurrection well brother donnie what in the world do you mean second corinthians 5 17 the bible says if anyone is in jesus he's a new what he's a new creation the old is gone and the new has it has come And so at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he has a purpose for your life amen you're made new The second thing is this, being conformed to Christ's death and suffering. It's a daily process of living. It's a daily process. Jesus completely died to self. He became a sacrifice for you and for me. And it was the greatest act of love that this world has ever seen or will ever experience. But are we like Jesus? Are we dying to self? Are we being sacrificial? Do we know, do we experience the picking up of our cross daily? Paul chose to die to self and experience the power and the resurrection. And listen, church, I'm going to tell you this. He would willingly die to reach others for the gospel. Paul would have died for sinners to tell them about Jesus. And we're afraid to walk across the road. We're afraid to invite people to church. You know, wouldn't it be great if every church in Hardin County decided that we were going to make it a whole lot harder for people to enter hell than heaven? Thirdly, the resurrection power also brings completion of the believer's hope. Paul knew that through faith in Jesus that one day he would experience the newness of a spiritual body in a perfect environment because he would be living in heaven with his Lord for eternity. Every believer, I hope, is looking forward to the day that our eyes will reopen in the presence of Christ. Amen. I hope that for you. I pray that for you, that when you get ready to pass from this life into eternity, you can say, Father, I'm ready. You can say, I fought the good fight. And Lord, I finished the race. And I have kept the what? And I have kept the faith. Some of you guys, don't put your Christianity on cruise control. Amen? Don't think that Jesus cannot use you. Jesus, he's not concerned about your comfortability. Jesus is just, he's concerned about your usability. He wants to use you. I want to go to heaven just like you, amen? Don't you? 
But until I get that opportunity to meet my Lord face to face, God is saying what? Tell others about the gospel. Hearts need to change. Attitudes need to change. Personalities need to change. Because all people matter, amen? So how do we make Christ our number one in our lives? Well, number one, he's got to be your personal savior. Is he your savior today, church? I'm just asking. Is he your personal Lord and Savior? And number two, our relationship with Jesus and his influence in our life, it has to be invaluable. we got to understand that Jesus makes us righteous through faith, not our own works, and we got to live a life that mirrors the power of his. Where are you at this morning? Is he your number one? Are you making those steps to make him number one? At the beginning of this sermon, I asked you this question. I said, list the top five things that you treasure the most. Billy, you guys come on as we get ready to have an invitation. Here's the five that I put, and I'm going to share these with you. It may upset somebody. If it does, it does. Lord, I, it is what it is. Amen. Here's the five that I put down. Number one, my relationship with Christ. Number two, my wife. Because you can't love your kids if you don't love your wife. Now, I'm, boy, husbands, I'm just going to tell you. If you value your relationship more than you value your spouse or with your children, you're in trouble. Because it ought to be the Lord, it ought to be the spouse, and then it's your children. And then I put my church family. And then number five, I put my opportunity to help reach others for the gospel. There's no awards in here. There's no seminary plaque in here. There's no educational attainment that's in here. There's no looking out in the pews and saying, well, we hit 200 today or 400 next year, 600 then. Nope. It's not about that to me. He's got to be number one. And see, whether Christian or not Christian, usually family is very important in that list. But Christ, the church, sharing the gospel, for many, those three things wouldn't even make the list. They won't even make it. The greatest treasure that Jesus gave us was his life, his death, and his resurrection. And one of the greatest gifts that we can give each other and to the people that you're around every day is to be a reflection of the one that gave us all. So church this morning, as we have our time of invitation, is it your number one? You know, when I was growing up, these altars were used for prayer. They weren't there to lift me up or the praise band or the choir or anybody else. They were used for prayer. I'm going to challenge you this morning. Let's pray. As you stand, will you come?